Here's the deal with the recall of Gavin Newsom. We've seen Trump Republicans across the country attacking election results and the right to vote. Now they're coming to grab power in California, abusing the recall process and costing taxpayers millions. Here's how we stop them. Every Californian will get a mail-in ballot for the September 14th election. Vote no to protect California and our democracy. Stop the Republican recall. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Sunday, August the 15th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, Afghanistan, Iraq, the Kurds, Vietnam, What do you think all of those have in common? I'll explain right after this. The war is not meant to be won. It is meant to be continuous. Hierarchical society is only possible on the basis of poverty and ignorance. This new version is the past, and no different past can ever have existed. In principle, the war effort is always planned to keep society on the brink of starvation. The war is waged by the ruling group against its own subjects, and its object is not victory over either Eurasia or East Asia, but to keep the very structure of society intact. George Orwell, 1984. The classic novel, written back in 1949 or 47 or 45 or 50, somewhere around there, off the top of my head. I start with that, dear listener, and I hope you are well. I hope that um, your day is better than your yesterday was, and if it is not, that you do see better days ahead and that that happens rapidly for you and yours. Whatever trials and tribulations you are going through at this time, I do hope that those ease over time and ease quickly for you so that life is a bit more comfortable if it isn't exactly how you want it at this moment. A little bit more comfort and ease in living is easier than none at all, of course. But I am pulling for you, and I hope that you and yours are well. I do start, dear listener, today on this Sunday with those words from George Orwell, because what we've seen today so far in Afghanistan is what we've seen before in a number of scenarios when it comes to countries who are betrayed by the United States foreign policy that has afflicted so many nations for the worse, quite frankly. And this is yet another example of it. I will be playing several audio clips in this episode. And I also will be 
raising some concerns about some of the things that get perpetuated and perpetrated online. And I think that's all part of the issue. I think all of this is about enabling. And it sits very uneasily with me. And I will explain. But first, I want to get to the main menu here. And the main menu on this episode, dear listener, is Afghanistan now is back in the hands of the Taliban, who had control of it prior to October of 2001. And it was a rough time for women and girls in particular. A lot of violence against girls and women, a lot of other really horrible things happening to girls and women weren't allowed to work, weren't allowed to do all kinds of things in Afghanistan. Taliban ruled with an iron hand. And the other thing is, is that you don't get told this, is that the Taliban were being aided by the United States. I mean, in May of 2001, George W. Bush's administration gave aid to the Taliban. Millions of dollars in aid. Maybe even billions of dollars in aid. Just a few months before they would invade them. I mean, this is all a game. It's a deadly, psychopathic, sociopathic game. But it is a game nonetheless when it comes to foreign policy of the United States. It is a shell game. One person's enemy today is that same person's friend tomorrow. And sometimes at the same time. And the same time period, meaning I just said the same thing twice, but sometimes simultaneously. It's a really horrible thing. And what I really want to get people to think about, including yourself, dear listener, is our relationship to foreign policy. I think that's the thing I want to get into as well. But right now, the Taliban have waltzed right back in. You know, Joe Biden, President Biden said, oh, you know, we're taking all of the United States troops out, uh, soldiers out. Military personnel, I prefer to call them, quite frankly, troops. It sounds like something so uh, impersonal. These are human beings with families who are suffering going through all of this as their spouses, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles. Mothers, fathers are away for three, four, six, ten, twelve tours of duty. All these sacrifices, and some come back without limbs, some come back without sight, some come back without movement in their bodies. I mean, this is really horrible what we do. And see, that's the thing. And I think that this is why this is so painful and it's scary. And I've said this before, dear listener, that foreign policy in the United States dictates domestic policy. Let me repeat. Foreign policy in the United States dictates domestic policy in the United States. Case in point. 1983, right? Keep that year in mind for a second, right? Remember that we uh, dropped bombs 
in August of 1945, August 6th and August 9th, just a few days ago, but back 74 or five years ago now. Would have been 76 years ago, if my math serves me correctly. On Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I know someone's going to say, oh, well, it was World War II. I mean, we have an answer for everything, don't we? We have an answer for everything. Except the things that we really should be having a real answer for. We suddenly get real quiet. We lose the power of speech. As Diane Venora once said in the film Heat. She said it much more crudely, though, in the context in which she said it. Uh, we really do have an answer for everything except the things that we refuse to look at. Enslavement, genocide in this here country, the United States. We say, oh, it happened a long time ago. Some of us do, not me and not you. But some of us do in this world, right? in this country. Oh, it happened a long time ago. So uh, that's just nonsense. It happened. It happened is the issue. It's not that it happened two minutes ago, 20 years ago or 200 years ago. Is that it happened? That it happened at all, and that we've refused to look at it, and that's what's dangerous, and that's what matters, and that's frightening, and that's scary. Nineteen eighty-three, right? Flash forward in nineteen eighty-three, right? Some thirty-seven years after the United States Democratic President Fred uh, Harry Truman dropped bombs. Atomic bombs, no less, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the black mayor, Democrat, dropped bombs on a black family, the Move family. Remember? For those of you who don't know, Move were a family that were all about self-sufficiency and determination and activism and education. Educating black kids, educating black families, demanding more, wanting better for their kids, for the city, for the, for the region. And the mayor, W. Wilson Good, which certainly is a joke, he was not good at all, ordered that the police drop bombs on this family in Philadelphia. Literally drop bombs. And that's exactly what the police did. The Philadelphia police dropped friggin' bombs on them and destroyed them, killed the family, killed, I think, killed all the MOVE members and destroyed a whole city block, injuring other people, if not killing them. It was 1983. Do you want another example of this? 1993 or 94 or 95. I forgot what year, 96. David Koresh. That so-and-so. And that cult that he had in Waco, Texas, another Democratic politician, right? President Bill Clinton and his attorney general, Janet Reno, and the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Agents, set their encampment ablaze to root them out because they wouldn't come out Come out, come out, wherever you are. And so David Koresh and his followers, his cult, his Jim Jones-like cult, refused to come out, come out wherever they were. And so the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agents, smoked them out, absolutely fried them dead 
put it that way. Fried him, killed him. Just during Clinton's administration. I don't know. I doubt people have, some people have forgotten that. And forgot, and forgot about David Koresh and what happened to all those people. They all died. Koresh and all the rest. I'll go down in flames then. And they all died. They were all, okay, then they burned their asses off. Burnt them to a crisp. Killed them. No, right there in the, the country. Uh, I can mention, uh, oh, 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 let me, oh, uh, oh, Kent State, 1970, I believe it was, May 5th, 1970. Oh, Kent State. Oh, uh, another one, Orangeburg, South Carolina, the Orangeburg Three, or was it Orangeburg, Mississippi? The, the, um, the Orangeburg Three, murdered. Oh, come on. Tanks on the streets, you know, the tanks on these campuses, Kent State, there's shootings in Kent State. Oh, please. Students killed by police and whatnot. Oh, God. The Chicago Convention, 60. I mean, again, I'll say it again. United States foreign policy informs United States domestic policy. And if you don't believe me, look at history. I've already cited you three or four or five, four or five examples. And you can all, you can look these up. I'm not making this up is all readily available. And I didn't have to go on, on a search engine to look for them because I know about all of these. Oh, I know, I'm not bragging. It's just a case of doing some simple reading and knowing history and taking a little account of it. I'm not a historian. I mean, I don't hold myself to be one. And I am a student to history. And if I'm a student of history, I'd better know what the heck I'm talking about. But what gets me, and I will get back to the theme of Afghanistan, is that there are people online, and I shouldn't be that gotten by this, who are talking like they're experts and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're tweeting about half the time. And people who have got check marks and blue ticks and white ticks and verified marks on their backsides and on their Twitter. They don't, and they're talking absolute nonsense. Don't know the history of Afghanistan at all. At all, at all, at all. I mean, none of them, not none of them, but some of these folks have no idea what they're talking about. And on Sky News, I heard this guy's always oh, a journalist. And he has experience writing about this stuff. And he's saying all this stuff about, well, you know, this problem in Afghanistan began 30 years ago. I'm like, give me a break. Come on, really? Motherfucker window. This didn't begin 30 years ago. It began try 300 years ago or more. Oh, please. This began many, many years. Oh, God. Just no idea, centuries. I mean, the British, where I'm from, the British played a large freaking role in this. So many of these Anglo-Afghan wars, numerous Af- Anglo, let me say Afro, Anglo-Afghan wars, and the in the in the English, the British divided up. Parts of Afghanistan divided up that region. Oh, come on. And then you wonder why there's all these groups splintered and all this stuff going on. Oh, gosh. Uh, You know, and nobody, you know, there are people talking and they really don't know the history. 
And then the history of, of all of this going back, I mean, no idea what the history is. And talking about things like, oh, well, you know, our scope is being narrowed, by the way. Our scope. When some journalist gets on Sky News and he goes, oh, well, it's 30, 40 years. This didn't start with the Soviet Union invading and then getting their asses kicked, invading Afghanistan and walking out there with their tails between their asses, ass cheeks or whatever. I don't you know, whatever. I mean, it didn't start with that. Oh, you know, and this is someone on Sky News being brought to you like some paragon of expertise. And what he's doing is narrowing your focus and narrowing your scope on how to think about these things when the scope should be as broad as possible. It really should be, dear listener. You should be thinking about these things a little bit more broadly, not narrowly. And it's just absolutely pathetic to hear that kind of ahistoric analysis. Oh, this happened. This is a problem that's been happening for 30 or 40 years. Oh, shut up. This, is, this has been going on for centuries. And, the, and not to mention, and to fail on Sky News in the UK to even mention that the British played a large freaking hand in this with their unclean ass hands. Oh, it's just so dishonest. And that's really where I come in and say, you know, come on now. This is what gets me. The, the profound dishonesty. You're just dishonest about what it is that's going on in Afghanistan and how it got to this point. And all the things that the United States have done as the government to absolutely do what's going on there. And not to mention the English. The British have a large role to play in this. Oh, and Boris Johnson, I don't see how we would ever want Afghanistan to become, to slide back into terrorism. Oh, motherfuckers, you guys went in there and created the terrorism. <laughs> or when you tried to cut, when you div- divvied it up and, and went in there and invaded. And what did you do? And what you're doing is not terrorism in Afghanistan? And when you bombed it with the U.S., you went in there and friggin' bombed the place in October of 2001. And the place was already friggin' rubble from the previous wars, all the friggin' wars in Afghanistan, including the Soviet Union at the time, back in the 70s and 80s. And they got, as I said, they got their asses handed to them. And I mean, really? And that place was rubble anyway. And then you're bombing a place with friggin' that's already rubble? That's terrible. I mean, that's just crazy. And, and no one realizes this. Some people don't. That this is really what Afghanistan is. And we're not getting to see all that on TV here in the US or in Western nations. I bet you Al Jazeera would show it. But again, you know, this is the kind of nonsense that gets played on Western audiences. And the ignorance level gets ratcheted up. So instead of thinking big, you're being told to think small. You're being told to close your mind. Instead of open it. Instead of employing the global perspective that's necessary. Instead of talking about the history of Afghanistan. And instead of talking about political parties, you're failing to talk about a system. You're not even talking about a system. You're talking about, oh, this one started it first. Well, George W. Bush, I remember when he started that, started that first. 
I mean, what the fuck is that? It's important to know who kicked this off in terms of the most recent round or any round. But the analysis and the declarations do not stop there. It doesn't stop there. He's not in power anymore, number one. And number two, this guy's a war criminal. And number three, it's not political parties that started this in Afghanistan. It's United States foreign policy. That's what started what's going on in Afghanistan now. Plus the British before that. And that's the thing that people aren't getting to. At least some people are not. And it's profoundly dishonest and disingenuous to see people on social media talking like this. Oh, yeah, well, George W. Yeah, it's so tribalist. Well, yay, team. Yay, team. My guy didn't start it. But yours did. And what the fuck? Where the fuck does that leave us? I am a strong proponent about going back and examining what went wrong. I talk about it all the time here. If you're familiar to this podcast, you will know, dear listener, that I've done that over and over. And it must be done. But we also then have to then find ways to rectify or correct going forward what we can do and be better. There's two components of this. Going back, examining and analyzing, and recognizing and reckoning with it, and then going forward to do something better. That's the two-part step, the two-step analysis. And we all, it seems like, when we're, whether it's social media or not, we go half-cocked on one, one piece of analysis and never say, and therefore, this is what we've got to do. I get it. We're a soundboard social media. We, you know, we, we do is, it's a soundboard, right? I've done it too. We, we just vent, get these things off our chest. We say what we do. Da, da. But what I do try to do and what I know some of you try to do is advocate and what we must do next is. It's easy to analyze it, but we've got to do the doing part and articulate that and actually do it. It's just, and the thing that just gets me is the retweets that things like that get. And I, I bet you many of the people who retweet that don't even know anything about the history of Afghanistan, don't know jack about United States foreign policy, have no idea of how all of these things interlink. Because we've been told, quite frankly, not to engage with foreign policy. You know, when people talk about foreign policy on TVs, many of us, our eyes glaze over. Glaze over. Like glazed donuts. And we just kind of tune it out. And we mentally are thinking, well, that's over there. Don't hurt my head. Because that's what we've been taught. To think that it's over there. But we, in reality, we have to be connected to that. We're disconnected from it. And we've got to employ a global perspective. We're all part of this global village. I know that sounds really corny, doesn't it? That's not that corny talk. But it's not. This is really true. We are part of the same global village. And the village is getting smaller and smaller by the second. And less people are on it. Because a lot of people, they don't want to get fully vaccinated. And they don't want to wear a mask. So this village is getting smaller and with less people on it and in it. And we are taught not to think about foreign policy as some continuum, but foreign policy, I'll say it again, in the United States government, informs domestic policy. The war is meant to be continuous. As I read out earlier, 
in the beginning. The war is meant to be continuous. Uh, it's just, this is, this is the thing. And I cite these examples of how foreign policy informs domestic. I gave you the examples. And there's so many others. But the ignorance is superseding everything these days. And I've talked about this before. How ignorance just seems to just permeate the air. And no matter how so-called reasonable some of the, the persons who perpetuate and perpetrate this present themselves as, it just becomes more resonant and more terrifying. It's scary to see people who present themselves as some paragon of expertise saying the most profoundly ahistoric and ignorant things. And then everybody retweets that. And I'm sure, like I said, it's an indication that the people who are retweeting this, I doubt have any history knowledge when it comes to Afghanistan or about foreign policy in the US. I'm not sitting here trying to brag that I have some knowledge of it, as do some of you, I'm sure. But it, I'm just simply saying that it's just this blind allegiance to things. And I can't stand that because it's so dangerous, so dangerous. Blindly, just because your guy, right, is the one, right, who's in the White House. I voted for him. I worked my ass off to make sure he was in, as did many of you, as did many people. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to criticize President Biden. When he gets stuff wrong, especially on foreign policy, because that's supposed to be a strong suit. And this year, so far, he gets an F from yours truly on foreign policy. F for foreign policy. F is for foreign policy, and he's failed. And people seem to forget and they sit here and talk, oh, and all the memes now, and all the, the media, uh, oh, I still on Twitter, this is the only reason I know this. Some of the media, except Sky News, ironically, or well, not ironically, Sky News made it clear to criticize them. But all the, the, some of these corporates and, and, and also Speaker Pelosi too, oh, Joe Biden, he took courage to get us out. Oh, oh, please. Oh, courage. And what did he do in October of 2001? He voted for the shit. Where was the courage then to vote no? Unlike Representative Barbara Lee, who absolutely was the only person in all of Congress to vote no to use of force in Afghanistan. She voted no. She had courage then and she has courage now. And what does, what does President Biden have on this? No one talked about the fact that he voted for this shit. He voted for this in October 2001, and he voted for Iraq. Two votes, not one, two, dos. So where was the courage? And now I've got to hear people like Speaker Pelosi. I've got to hear these, these blooming pundits, and I've got to hear people in the news media casually. Oh, well, he showed, you know, people who were on as guests. Oh, he showed courage. Oh, you motherfucker didn't show shit. Except his ass to you. I'm the one who voted for it, and now I'm going to try to be the hero. I mooned you. I mooned you. I mean, this is, uh, this is absolutely outrageous. And we accept this, some of us, many of us, because he's on the blue team. And I, I say hell no to that. And in politics, there are no permanent friends. No permanent enemies. 
just permanent interests. Someone said that a long time ago. Don't remember who. I wish I did. But I, I just really look at this because there are some Democrats that do this wrong too. We know the Republicans are a piece of garbage. Every now and again, you'll have five Republicans do the right thing or 10. Ooh. And that gets over-celebrated. And I think that's wrong too. Don't celebrate these people for doing what was right. Dude, just, just freaking well, do it. But don't celebrate them and have a freaking, freaking congratulations party for them. You have to do what's right and be done with it. There's no fanfare for you because you're a Republican. Your party sucks. Your party sucks. It's not a party. It's a cult. But the problem here is that we are not looking at this broadly enough. And we are so tribalistic. Ooh, yay team. It's got to be. And if my team does it, I'm not going to say anything. If their team does it, I'm going to scream. And that is just bullcrap. That's what keeps the system exactly where it is. When you're not willing to criticize the people you vote for, then what good are you to any kind of advancement of the society you say that you want to better? If you're not willing to look at yourself and try to improve yourself, when you talk loudly about wanting a better world for all, You've got to resolve the world within you first. You've got to look at that, however uncomfortable it might be. But you can't come on out here and talk about how you want the world to be a better place for future generations. And you can't even sort yourself out on something or other. And you're not willing to. And that's terrifying. Terrifying. It's just a profound ignorance, you know. Oh, oh, I'm going to, oh, well, George Bush started. That's just, God, that is just so foolish. Oh, and Joe Biden was, an, was courageous. No, he wasn't. Was he courageous when he voted for this fucker? When he voted for this fucking invasion in the first place? Was he courageous in 2001 when he voted for it? Was he courageous in 2003 when he voted for Iraq? Oh, please. It's like, you know, you can't even remember for 2001 and 2003. It was 20 years ago in 2001. It was, it was less than that. It was October of 2001. And it was, it was what? I, I forget what month it was in, in uh, 2003 that they did the vote. It might even have been, I don't know, I remember exactly when it was. But he voted for both of those, Biden did, when he was senator. Oh, it's like, oh my God. And nobody wants to remember this? You've forgotten it? Really? Have people forgotten that? I, I, I just sit here and shake my... And these people, oh, Biden did, you know? And yeah, and, and, the, other, and the last pe and the piece of garbage before him did it. And, and the, the, the guy before him did it, dropping drones, drone striking the fuck out of everything. And he's like, you know, you know, deporting more people uh, than anyone else than any other president. Oh, oh, but let's not talk about that, President Obama. Ooh, no, 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 we're not talking. 
George W. doing all the war criminal shit he did. And we can go back. Bill Clinton, Ronald, Ronald Reagan, and Richard Nixon. All of these mother, all of these people. Oh my gosh. And Truman dropped bombs on, on Japan. Democrat. So, I mean, like, come on. for And, and FDR, Democrat. The uh, Chinese Exclusion Act and all the other, uh, although he, he was Executive Order 9066. Come on. Excluding, uh, rounding up Japanese, uh, people who are American, who are from Japan, who are Americans, and rounding them up and throwing them in concentration camps and uh, the, the reservation, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about. All over the place, you know, putting them in these camps. Give me a, f- come on. This is not about political parties. My point is, this is about a system. And and the sooner and I've talked about this so many times before, dear listener. And if you're someone that's listened routinely, you know, I've talked about this many times. And the sooner people start to think in terms of a system and not one party against another, and team, yay, team, and all that nonsense, the sooner people start to look at the system itself that breeds all of this, the better. And there are so many enablers. That's what I really want to get to before I even play these clips. There are so many people enabling all of this garbage, and particularly on social media, particularly on Twitter. People who should, in quotes, know better. Or should, with an asterisk on either side of that word, know better. They should know better. And they either choose not to or they're assigned not to. And all this nonsense, oh well, this one did... And then they're enabling the whole friggin' thing. They're enabling drone strikes, President Biden, February 14th, 2021, on Syria. And hardly any of the, And I went off on that earlier this year when that happened. Criticized Biden profusely for that. And, and, and also criticized these enablers on social media who sit there and don't say a goddamn thing when he does it, but when the last pe- the piece of garbage that left in January, that traitor, they were all up in arms. And my whole thing is, you should be up in arms whenever this is done. Regardless who's, of who's in that office, because it's a system. It's not about one versus the other. But again, as long as the system, I mean, that's what the system wants you to do. Oh, argue about, they're like two, like school kids on a freaking playground. Well, he started it. Yeah, well, it's still going on, man. What the fuck are you going to do about it? I mean, I'm a proponent. I have always said this. You have to go back and look back at the history and you have to examine this stuff. And then you have to look at, okay, what are we going to do next to be better That's what the mission has to be, to think more broadly and to do something, whether it's educating people, whether it's reading. (laughs) I mean, I'm not suggesting that people who listen to this podcast aren't reading. I'm kind of talking more generally than that. We've got to challenge ourselves and challenge each other. And that's how you start to make the world better. When you challenge yourself to be better and you challenge each other to be better. And then we challenge other people. And then we try to challenge more people. And that's how this world gets better. And you educate people. And so that's where I, I really stand on this. You know, this, there's a lot of enablers. That's my view. You know, 
I just think there's a lot of enablers on social media. People who are in positions, whether they're famous or infamous or not famous or whatever. And they just sit there side and they champion, oh yeah, rah, rah, rah. And then when the other person does it, oh, ooh, outrage. But not outrage both when, when, any, when any of it's done. It's just when one side does that. And it's like, that's bullcrap. That is very disingenuous. That's not you caring about the issue at all. That's you about playing team and playing, putting your guy first before the issue. And these are the, some of the same people that go, oh, well, the Republicans are party before country. And they are those bastards. They are party before country. But then look at you championing a guy doing wrong and talking about how courageous he is for pulling the American forces out of there when his ass voted for this shit in the first place. He voted for this situation alongside with Bush in the first place to support what he was doing. So don't act like he's some courageous guy. He is not a courageous guy here. And I just, again, I, I really do. I, I tell you, I am not loyal to these parties, mate. I vote with one, but that doesn't make me loyal to them. Because when they do shit wrong, I'm going to speak about it and let them know. My goodness, we can't be zombies on this. We have got to open our mouths and speak, if you can. It's just so, you know, write a letter to these people. Tweet their asses. Call them on the White House comment line. For God's sake, man. Come on, this is, we can't just, oh, well, oh, he started it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, that is so pathetic. Pathetic. And that got so many, ooh, lots of retweets for that. Uh, I've just, again, this is the brain drain of these social media places. And it's quite dangerous. And people sit there thinking some of this stuff is reasoned and well thought out. And again, I think some of these folks don't have the faintest idea about what the history of Afghanistan is and the foreign policy. I can mention names, Mossadegh, Allende. I can mention names, Hussein, Bin Laden, all these people and so many more, Patrice Lumumba, so many others. And you don't think the CIA had a hand in the assassinations of those people and the killings of those people? And there's regime change. And people forget about Venezuela, Juan Guaido. Oh, we hold him as the natural lead. He's not elected. And yes, we know that uh, the the guy in there right now, and I'm forgetting, blank, um, blanking is his name. I had it for a second in my mind. The guy who's in Venezuela now, the so-called strong man, who's there now. I forget his name. can't believe I forget his name. But he was democratically elected. And what we love to do is overthrow democratically elected regimes and governments. I mean, look at what this piece of garbage did last year. The guy that left the White House, the traitor, the terrorist. He murdered the third in command in Iran. Murdered him in Iraq, but he's from Iran. Murdered the defense secretary or something like that. I think he was the foreign secretary. Murdered him. Never been brought to account for that. And here's the other thing. Like I told your ass, this is not about political parties. And here's the proof. Case in point. When George W. Bush 
was leaving office and uh, President Obama was asked, well, are you going to uh, impeach him? And, and, and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, in the first stint of Speaker of the House said, well, um, am I going to impeach him? Well, no, because uh, impeachment is not really something we're going to go after because the past is the past. And President Obama said the same thing. The past is the past. And we're not interested in looking back at the past. And that's our fucking problem. We don't want to look back at the past. We don't want to look at our history. We don't want to look. We have our eyes closed. You know, one hand kind of you're covering your eyes. I like watch those horror movies back in the day. And you may be a little bit younger than you are now. And you, you had your eye half over. I remember because I used to do this. I don't know if you did. And you'd have your, your eye. If you're in the movie theater and you know this movie is really heavy and intense. And you'd be sitting there with your hand. <laughs> I know I did this sometimes. Not all the time. But so your eye and your fingers are like covering your eye. And your, your fingers are opening just a little bit. Or you're squinting so you can see. You don't want to see it all, but you don't want to completely close your eyes, but you don't really want to look. And that's how we are with history in the country, in the U.S. And it's, this applies in England, too, and other places. And we are like that. We don't want to look. And you've got to look. It's only like we want to look selectively at things, but we don't want to look at other things, like our freaking history. It's scary how the enablers come out and act like they're rational. Oh, this is, yeah, well, yeah, you know, well, well, he started it. Oh, motherfuck. I mean, my God. I mean, really? And then who's going to finish it? And then these Afghan girls and women, what happens to them next? And this is the guy that voted for this shit. Really? Oh, please. You got to come correct. Stop enabling this madness. And the system always looks the other way, you know? Again, I've said this before, you know, the system's not going to indict or prosecute itself, you know? For the same reason that, case in point, again, the terrorist attack of January 6, 2021. Instead of hauling in Trump's ass, yeah, I mentioned his name, excuse me, instead of hauling in Michael Flynn's ass, Roger Stone's ass, Rudy Giuliani's ass, and all these other people, pardon me, and instead of hauling in, you know, friggin' uh, Rubio and Cruz and Josh Hawley and Paul Gosar and Rand Paul and all these other motherfuckers, right, instead of hauling their asses in before these committees and investigating them and prosecuting their asses, what are they doing? They're bringing in the cops, the police. Now, I'm not to say that their story shouldn't be told. They're bringing in the Capitol Police and DC Police. Oh, yes, this is what happened to us and I mean, yes, we know what happened to them, and it's horrible. You need to be bringing the fucking perpetrators. Excuse me, I've been cursing a lot in this episode. <laughs> Even more than usual. You know, there's actually a time when I didn't used to curse very much on this podcast. And I find that as I get further and further into the calendar year that is 2021, dear listener, I continue to curse apace as if it's <laughs> commonplace. It is. I mean, if you aren't cursing, there's something wrong with you, to be quite frank. If you're not 
cussing of what the fuck is happening around you, then there really is something wrong with you. <laughs> I have to, I'm just being, I'm being very frank with you. I just think. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, really? I mean, come on now. Come on now. But they should be hauling Trump's ass and all these other f- traitors and criminals and terrorists right in front of the committee and prosecuting them all. But that's not going to happen. I mean, look at the sentences that the the, you know, the no-namers are getting. Oh, two months, eight months, six months. Oh, my God. And then you got black folk like, you know, Crystal Mason, four years, five years, ten years. And Hervis Rogers, 40, you know, 20 friggin' years for doing something that they were told to do, vote. Texas officials in both cases, particularly in the case of Crystal Mason, told her to vote. You can vote, don't worry. And she votes and then they now slap a five-year, ten-year, you know, five years in federal prison and five or ten in, I mean, the state prison. I mean, this is just sick. And then you got motherfuckers trying to, you know, bring down the friggin' government. And try and, and committing a terrorist act of violence, terrorist attack, and then motherfuckers again eight months. Shut up! Oh please! Oh come on! And it's a system. It's not one political party or another. They, it's both. It's like the hill again. I keep talking about this. The the Hayes Tilton Compromise of eighteen seventy seven. In that very close 1876 presidential election here in the U.S. between Rutherford B. Hayes. And Samuel J. Tilden. Hayes was the Republican. Tilden was the Democrat. And Tilden said, all right, you can have the White House. But hey, you know what I want from you? I'll back off and I will let you have the White House. If you take all them feds out of the southern states. Take the federal troops out of the southern states. And if you have that. Then you got your White House. And that's what they did. They took out, oh, yes, sir, your boss. And that's what Rutherford B. Hayes said. He took out all of the federal um, personnel that was, got, you know, all the Union troops, that were the, the federal, that were guarding and safeguarding. Well, the you know, federal uh, personnel that was safeguarding these states. And boom, all the violence resumed the pace even more so against black folk more and the end of reconstruction and that's two parties together agreeing to do that republican and democratic so please all this tribalism about one party and the other and then both of these these asses motherfuckers are doing this to you black folk they're doing so don't please this all oh well he started it first please that's just you know, that's just so short-sighted. And that wasn't the only comment. There are all these other ones too praising. Again, I said it before. I want to sound like a broken record. Praising this guy as some hero. Carew had courage because Trump and Obama, they didn't do it, but he did. And he's a motherfucker that voted for it. The only one of those three people that fucking voted for the war in both of these freaking countries, Afghanistan and Iraq, was Joe Biden. Oh, God, you know... Like, damn. See, that's my, <laughs> again, I do that. The, the uh, Joe Madison impression I do. 
Because that's what he does when he gets ticked off at some of these callers that call him. He's uh, on Sirius XM radio. Channel 126, Urban View, The Black Eagle. He's on Twitter at Madison, M-A-D-I-S-O-N, as in Madison Avenue. Sirius, S as in Sam, I-R-I-U-S. X-M, as in Michael. Madison Sirius XM, that's his handle on Twitter. Follow him, please. Really good. He's a really, really, really good person. Activist. Long time in the civil rights movement. He's been an activist for 60 years and he's been in the broadcast business for at least 30 of those 60 plus years. But look, Joe Madison, you know, when he, he just has, has had it with some caller talking nonsense. He makes the sound that I just made. And this is the thing, right? It's just... Just the ignorance and the lack of education and willing and lack of willingness to be honest with yourself if you do know better. You know? You know, it's just he's got courage and he's the one that voted for this. And the other two didn't. One of them is an idiot and the other one wasn't in the Senate at the time. He was still in the state Senate in Illinois, President Obama. He was known then as Barack Obama. He's known now as Barack Obama. He's always been known as Barack Obama, but not always been known as president. And now he is always known as President Obama. But the thing is, this is the thing. It's also the same thing with, you know, again, one hand washing the other. These parties, whether they're the same party or different ones, no, you know. We're not going to go after George W. Bush. We're not going to do anything with Trump. I mean, Joe Biden's not done anything with Trump. I mean, the only really inquiries are coming from the um, New York Attorney General's office. And there's Manhattan District Attorney's office. I don't know that there's anything in the Justice Department. I mean, oh, we're not going to do anything. And the thing is, when Biden was on MSNBC last year and someone um, videoed him a question and said to him, Sir... If you get in, will you promise to hold Trump accountable? And he said, yes, I've still got the freaking video of this. And has he held Trump accountable? Biden? No, he hasn't. So please don't give me the, oh, it's the, he started you know, Again, it's a system. It ain't about two parties. Have I made myself clear, dear listener? <laughs> All right. I think I have. I'm going to start, I'm going to play these clips now. And let me see, I'm going to start with this one first. This is actually from a PBS documentary. I believe it's called The Last American Days in Vietnam or something like that. It's from the American Experience series from a number of years ago. You can look at, look this up and find it. But here's a portion of a clip from that. I want to start with that one first. My cameraman Neil Davis and I decided to stay. We saw the last helicopter leave from the roof. We then tried to scramble into the embassy ourselves. Uh, Neil got to the roof, I did not. And he saw dozens of Vietnamese just sitting on the helicopter pad on the roof of the embassy, waiting, uh, wanting to get out. And of course, no more helicopters were gonna come. I didn't join them. I actually scare. If the communists come in, the last thing we want them to see us is an American embassy. 
So we get out. People were coming in and out of the building. Literally anything that could not be fastened down or was not fastened down was being taken away. Any souvenirs from the ambassador's office were taken away. Almost brick by brick, the embassy was being dismantled. It was ordinary looting. But more than that, I think it was just frustration and anger and an opportunity to uh, get back perhaps at the Americans because in the view of many in that crowd that day, we had deserted them. Looting out of frustration. Now, when black folk are seen on camera looting, it's never called out of frustration as, oh, you guys are criminals, you know? Not frustration, not anger at the last 400 years and all the, you know, and the police murders of us and, yeah, and the, the racism and the discrimination and the, and the, you know, all the rest of it, the violence of poverty and all of, no, we, we're just pathologically criminal, criminal, you see. And that's how it's presented in the media. But do you see, do you hear that? That was from the, the documentary about the last days in Vietnam, I believe it's called, from the American Experience series on PBS from a number of years ago. You can go look that up. Um, and you heard the journalist there from, actually from NBC News. I forget his full, Jim Laurie, I think is his name. An NBC News person who corresponded or so talking about this. And he's, he makes it clear, oh, the Vietnamese, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're looting out of frustration really, with the Americans. And there we go. The thing is, the point I wanted to make about playing that clip is that was Viet friggin' Nam, right? In April of 1975, April 30th to be precise. And it is exactly what I liken this to that has happened today. It is, you know, the, the helicopter in Saigon being pushed over the edge and into the water. Oh, how environmentally wonderful. Let's throw a thousand, you know, tons, a uh, hunk of metal uh, let's chuck that into the sea. Let's see if the fishes can have a little go at that, shall we? I mean, it's just, come on, it really works wonders for the ocean. And the oceanic life is just swimming and dazzling with metal chunks in our bodies. Isn't that just lovely and lead? Isn't that just lovely, 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 lovely? I mean, yeah, you know, there you go. So that's the image I have of, of what happened and what's been happening today is, you know, the United States have deserted, cut and run, chickened out, fled, said, fuck you, you're on your own, right? And I've said this before where we've said, oh, the people have to rise up and they aren't rising anything. So let's let them rise up and then they get slaughtered. And that brings me to clip number two, right? Here's clip number two. I'm going to play this. This one is from... The uh, I think Richard Engel talked about this is Richard Engel of MSNBC and, and NBC News, and he's interviewing uh, some Kurds. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Kurds um, who are in the region not far from Turkey and you know, around Syria and that area um, don't really have any kind of established country or homeland of their own, so they're really stateless, for lack of a better term. And I don't like that term, but that's essentially what they are. And they've been betrayed so many times by the United States foreign policy. Here is an example of this. You've got to listen to this from Richard Engel. I think it's one in one part or in two. He speaks to a resident in um, one of the Kurd, Kurdish residents. Um, 
persons. And I think there's another clip with it too, but I'm just going to roll this and you'll be able to, I think, pretty quickly discern what's going on here. You're also going to hear some from some other people as well. History in the Middle East is always present. A century ago, the Ottoman Turks governed an empire that stretched across the Middle East, North Africa, and into Europe. The Kurdish people lived right in the center of it. But the Ottoman Empire lost the First World War, and the victors carved up the spoils. The Kurdish population was largely divided among four countries that we know today as Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. Without a state of their own, the Kurds became easy targets. In the 1980s, Saddam Hussein, then America's ally, was on a mission to eradicate the Kurds. Saddam used a chemical cocktail of sarin and mustard gas to kill nearly 5,000 Kurdish men, women, and children in a town called Halabja. It was part of a campaign known as the Anfal, meaning the spoils. It was a systematic genocide. Thousands of Kurdish villages along the Iran-Iraq border were destroyed. The United States condemned the atrocities, but continued to help Saddam, even as the massacres continued. The Kurds had been betrayed, but they gave America another chance. In 1991, President George Herbert Walker Bush invaded Iraq. Saddam Hussein started this cruel war tonight. The battle has been joined. But President Bush did not want to send American troops all the way to Baghdad, fearing they would get stuck there. Instead, he called on Saddam's people to bring down the dictator. After the Gulf War in 1991, President George H.W. Bush called on the Kurds to rise up against the dictator Saddam Hussein. They rose up. When Saddam counterattacked with helicopter and gunships, we left them to be slaughtered. It was another betrayal. Again, there we go. Betrayal. A betrayal. I mean, again, this is U.S. foreign policy at work. Again, the government of the United States betraying the people that it says it's, it's standing up for and invading on behalf of. And, you know, again, this has been the theme of U.S. foreign policy for decades. You know, come in, dump, drop a turd in their backyard, destroy everything and leave. And the people are there vulnerable by themselves and they end up getting murdered. It's the same thing that happened just last year with the Kurds again at the Turkish-Syria border with the piece of garbage that is no longer in the White House, making a phone call to Erdogan and, and just kissing up to him, and Erdogan running riot as the Turkish dictator, running friggin' riot. And all of a sudden, this fool that is no longer in the White House pulled all of the American military personnel from the Turkish-Syria border, and the military personnel was there to stop ISIS and to make sure that the Kurds controlled the area and got rid of ISIS and held them prisoner. They held them in prisoner camps. And then as soon as the American forces were pulled out of there, ISIS overturned the Kurds and murdered them. 
And and this piece of garbage that left the White House this year. Oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is. No. You know, this jackass. We keep betraying. It's again, we keep betraying the Kurds. And I don't know why the Kurds even trust us. I mean, what kind of kind of trust can they possibly or anyone put in us when we keep disappointing them? I'm going to play this clip as well. This is also from Richard Engel. Um, and this again, I, you know, I, you know, again, the same thing. And I'm going to nail come up next in the clip. Uh, I talked about with a piece of garbage that just left the White House at the beginning of the year. You heard in the previous clip about George H.W. Bush telling, and you heard the guy say, oh, he told him to rise up. He told the curse to rise up. And he did tell him that. He certainly did. And then he left their asses to die. Rise up. Oh, my goodness. I mean, my God. And then, you know, in April, Glaspy, which she didn't come up. I've talked about it before. The um, the diplomat who went over there in W's in H.W.'s administration in 1990, I guess it was, or whenever that was. And in, in the summer of that year, I think July of that year, and said, oh, well, don't worry, Saddam. We're not going to Saddam Hussein. We're not going to get in. And I'm just doing a shorthand of it. Right. Paraphrasing, we're not going to get into your affairs with other uh, Arab countries. Um, just rest assured that we don't want you to do anything um, that's going to cause a problem. I'm just but paraphrasing. But but we're not really concerned about um, your business. That's your business to deal with Kuwait. Um, if that's what you, if that's what your you know, bailiwick is, then you'd. And then six months later, you know, HW, you know, his poll ratings suck. And he goes in, oh, I'm going to go and invade, I'm going to go launch a war. And when Glaspie was there six months before, whenever it was, in June of 1990, there was no threat about, well, if you start a war. Saddam Hussein had jurisdiction over Kuwait to deal with certain things there. He had jurisdiction to go in. And again, April Glaspie, representative of the United States, and made it very clear that that was something that Saddam Hussein had to work with with other people in the Arab so-called in the Arab region, and then as soon as he does does that, oh my gosh! Now old H W comes in and tries to flex his muscles. What a super wimp! And oh, I'm gonna finish this off, but I don't want to go all that far, and I'm gonna do this in a month. And that's what it was. It lasted a month or so. In 1991, during the Super Bowl, by the way, and Whitney Houston was singing the Star-Spangled Banner. I remember that clearly. The New York Giants played the Buffalo Bills that year in the Super Bowl. New York Giants won 20-19. Oh, I still remember. Sweet. But, you know, this is the thing, right? So let me just play this clip. They thought they had earned the right to a homeland. But it all came apart with one phone call between Presidents Erdogan and Trump. It's dead. It's gone. The experiment in self-government was destroyed when Turkey started bombing and invading. The U.S. has few friends in the world. The Syrian Kurds are our allies and our friends. We recruited them to fight against ISIS. You don't recruit a people, get them to fight your battle and then throw them under the bus. You heard the guy, you know, the U.S. has very few friends in the world. Well, yeah, and then the question becomes why? Why is it that the U.S. has very few friends in the world? Critical thinking. 
right? And you know why? Because the foreign policy sucks. And it's alienated many a nation. And it's absolutely decimated many a nation. It's a really horrible game that gets played, you know? The whole thing with Saddam Hussein as well, it's just, we like you, but we pretend like we don't like you. And we don't want you to win against Saddam Hussein, but we're backing you guys against him, even though we want Saddam to win, but we're backing you. And then we put you in the shit, and then we support him, and then all of a sudden, the enemy that we supported yesterday is our friend today, and the friend today is the enemy tomorrow, and so we end up, you know, hanging or shooting Saddam Hussein. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, Donald Rumsfeld met with him, April Glaspy, as I mentioned, met with Saddam Hussein. I mean, in the 90s and in the 80s, Donald Rumsfeld sat there with him, and then 20 years later, after 1983, 20 years later, there he is, talking garbage, Donald Rumsfeld, who passed away a month or two ago, talking garbage, oh, well, you know, well, if it's, it's a messy country, and if it's broken, people don't like to be um, colonized, or whatever the hell he said, I mean, that's garbage, I mean, it's, oh, and Saddam Hussein is a dictator and a devil and whatever, and he's there meeting with him in 1983, shaking his hand, and that's the game they're playing on you. But, you know, we're so compliant and ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, my goodness. But again, this is, this is the thing. And the guy said it right there in that clip. The U.S. has very few friends in the world. And the question in your mind should be, I wonder why. People feel stabbed in the back, basically, because the Turkish state has been given green lights to attack the region, to occupy it, to possibly ethnically cleanse it, and to uh, commit atrocities. When people will tell these to their children, they will speak about this very unique experiment that they have built up. They will talk about how women heroically defended entire cities. In Rojava, they established local systems of self-government, that were democratic, uh, it was feminist, women occupied 50% of all the senior positions. The people had established a hopeful system, a system that looks to the future, that has a vision, a democratic vision. The Kurds set up their own security forces, even schools teaching in Kurdish, a language the Syrian government had banned. Why do you think the Kurds fought so hard against ISIS? Kurds are very stubborn people, and they like their uh, land, their home. So uh, every time uh, they will fight. Nishti Murad wasn't a fighter, but a school teacher. She came back to her small family farm outside Kobani after ISIS was driven out. So what was it like when you came back? When I came, uh, there was um, many destroyed homes. Uh, everything was different. Everything was uh, like uh, it was changed. And, and we, you, uh, you feel that you have to start from the beginning. And we did that. Welcome back. And those two clips from uh, Richard Engel's uh, documentary on NBC or MSNBC back in November of 2019. I forget the name of it, but you can find that pretty easily. I think it's, a, I think it's called... Um, the Kurds, what went wrong or something like that, or how did it go wrong with the Kurds, whatever, but you can find that. 
And that is one of the uh, Kurdish residents who uh, who was talking about fleeing and all these kinds of things. And then you heard other people in there talking as well. Richard Engel's one of them. It's just this is just what the U.S. foreign policy is, you know, abandonment and your ass is on your own. You know, famous last words, rise up and fight. That's the famous last words of U.S. policy uh, in, in, foreign, in, foreign, in the foreign policy. And it's very, very bad. And it has tremendous effects and not positive ones. You know, it just doesn't. So, you know, I want to, you know, I just want to just keep going with these clips. There's a couple other ones I want to get to. And um, I think one of them, if I can get to it now... Um, is at least one or two of them you will hear now. I think it's, it concerns, yep, George W. Bush, the guy that now in some circles is so fondly remembered. Isn't that just sick? I mean, yes, he's lost um, his parents, his area, certainly both his parents, I think he's lost now. But I, I, I'm just saying, not but, I'm and I'm saying, you know, he's remembered fondly now by some people, so somehow. Why? I know Ellen DeGeneres is a good friend of his, but jeez. You know, but it's not even about Ellen DeGeneres. It's about what has happened to the soul of a so-called nation when we can't even remember that George W. Bush was such a horrible president, number one. And number two, destroyed foreign policy. I mean, he just destroyed any relationship. to. It was just horrible. Any relationship to any real foreign... Unless he... I mean, George W. Just a, it's a war criminal. He should be in the Hague now. But who knows? Oh, he's the voice of reason now. No, he's not. None of these people are on Twitter talking about. And these are the same conservatives and neocons who are doing all this stuff and now you're all embracing them. Some of you, why? Why? Why are you romanticizing some of these folk? Anyway, you've got to listen to these clips. You will be familiar, I think. I think you'll be familiar with these clips. Take it away. Major combat operations in Iraq have ended. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. Because of you, our nation is more secure. Because of you, the tyrant has fallen and Iraq is free. The liberation of Iraq is a crucial advance in the campaign against terror. We've removed an ally of Al-Qaeda and cut off, cut off a source of terrorist funding. And this much is certain. No terrorist network will gain weapons of mass destruction from the Iraqi regime because the regime is no more. Any outlaw regime that has ties to terrorist groups and seeks or possesses weapons of mass destruction is a grave danger to the civilized world and will be confronted. Don't you remember that George W. Bush had a habit of saying things that were really about what he was doing, kind of the projection? Any regime that has weapons of mass destruction should not be true. I mean, that's, he's talking about the United States, isn't he? 
Oh, gosh, who has more weapons of mass destruction than we do? No one. Who dropped nuclear bombs, atomic bombs on a country? We did. Oh, come on, you know. Who had a terrorist attack and, you know, really didn't punish anybody for it? We did. Who had another terrorist attack and didn't punish anybody for it? We did. <laughs> Who... Who has presidents that violate law and all kinds of things and don't get punished? We do. And a, and a Senate that continuously votes to let these people just leave and not face any consequences. We do. <laughs> and then the arrogance of the first clip. You remember that. Major combat operations. George, H. W., George, excuse me, George W. Bush. May the 1st, 2003. Literally just just over two months after invading Iraq. And he's pronouncing that we won. <laughs> and the regime is no more. And yeah, well, he said it, so it must be true. And, 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 they're, and, they're, and they're all clapping, like these sycophants in the military, all clapping, of course, because they're not going to say, no, that's wrong, Mr. President. They're all clapping like eager beavers. And the thing is, is that what he was saying was complete bullcrap because the the country was revolting against this garbage, killing American uh, military personnel, killing all kinds of civilians. I mean, come on. Oh, please. Ugh. Oh, the regime is no more. <laughs> Just because you say so. Okay. Whatever, baby. Welcome to Sky News. 20 years after the West declared war on the Taliban, they're back in control of Afghanistan. Taliban fighters entered the Afghan capital on Sunday morning. By the afternoon, the Afghan president had fled the country. By nightfall, they'd been filmed inside the presidential palace and are claiming victory. It was a day of rapid developments, which brought a swift and ignominious end to a military campaign that cost many billions of pounds and many thousands of lives. Our chief correspondent, Stuart Ramsey, watched it all unfold as the Taliban entered Afghanistan's capital and reports now on the fall of Kabul. We'd been warned, but this was the first time that we realized something was happening. Gunfire followed by people running. Police vehicles suddenly appearing on the streets that were emptying fast. Within minutes, helicopter gunships appeared over the presidential palace and government buildings in the center of Kabul. Anti-missile systems firing chaff into the air. The Taliban had entered the city and the American pilots knew it. For hours they circled above, but there was nothing they could do to stop the takeover of the capital. Occasional gunfire ripped through the air. Throughout the day, Chinook helicopters ferried United States Embassy staff to the international airport. Road moves deemed far too dangerous. It harked back to the images of the ignominious retreat of the US from Vietnam. An image President Biden said wouldn't be repeated, but this still photograph may well come back to haunt the president in the days to come. 
In Kabul, crowds gathered to welcome the Taliban. They greeted speakers with enthusiasm. So if you're going to hear a lot of shouting uh, near the presidential palace, I watched as the Taliban entered the very heart of this country's government. I think it's a procession of, uh, of the Taliban. Uh, yes, it is. There's the white flag. And uh, they're coming down uh, the street uh, just next to us. Inside the presidential palace, they rammed home this remarkable takeover, posing in the offices of power. A power that, after two decades of trying, has failed to finish them. By the way, you just heard the clip from Sky News from today. And the situation in Afghanistan, the reporter Stuart Ramsey talking about it there. That was part of his report. And again, it's the same thing. Deserted the Afghan people now. And, you know, there we go. The more things change. And... You know, that's the situation in Afghanistan now. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, on the Kurds, a really good article to read about this is the Los Angeles Times article from April the 14th, 1991. Really good one by David Wise, W-I-S-E. The title of the article in the LA Times from April 14th, 1991 was A People Betrayed, is a people betrayed twice before Washington let Kurds die to promote foreign policy designs. Now it's the Bush administration doing the deed. And again, this is what I've been talking about for the balance of this episode. You've got to read that story. You've got to read it. I may put this up on my Twitter account, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. But you've got to read that story. It goes, lays out the whole sorry story in detail. In detail, it's a good history lesson. And relatively, I mean, it's it's not a long, long article, but it it's a more Cliff Notes version with a few details. And, you know, about what's happened, you know, the, again, as I said before, foreign policy. And we're not connected to any of this. And our taxpayer money pays for it, though. We should be more connected to this. We should be more aware of this stuff. I get it. The corporate news media, forget it. They're not going to talk about this stuff. You know, there'll be five minutes on devoted to it on the debate and everyone will go back to sleep after that. Or maybe they'll be sleeping through that portion of the debate and they'll wake up after that. Excuse me, but that LA Times article, A People Betrayed, Twice before Washington let Kurds die to promote foreign policy designs. Now it's the Bush administration doing the deed. This has been going on forever with the Kurds. Have we treated them like stepchildren? And then, of course, Trump did the same freaking thing last year, October of last year. Oh, we're going to pull out all the troops from the Turkey-Syrian border. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, uh, Erdogan, go ahead. You can do whatever you want. Dictate like you want to dictate. You know? Dictate, dictators are going to dictate. <laughs> oh, it's just crazy, is it? But that's what happened. That's what really happened. I am going to, dear listener, leave you with the same words that I started with. Only they're going to be spoken by someone else that you may well be familiar with. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat.
I'm Omar Moore. The war is not meant to be won. It is meant to be continuous. A hierarchical society is only possible on the basis of poverty and ignorance. This new version is the past, and no different past can ever have existed. In principle, the war effort is always planned to keep society on the brink of starvation. The war is waged by the ruling group against its own subjects, and its object is not the victory over either Eurasia or East Asia, but to keep the very structure of society intact.